Let's pray one more time as we get into God's word. Lord, um, we want to stand on your promises. Our legs are weak in our own strength, though. So today, again, we ask that your Holy Spirit strengthen us and uh, you be the one who gives us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Is Silvana back yet? Maybe not quite. Um, we need to vote her into membership before we're done today. So I'll do that at the very ending, and that'll be a nice way to finish things off. And we have some gifts from the church. Have you ever done something foolish before? Yeah? I won't, I won't ask for stories, but it would be interesting. I wanted to use a different word when I was creating the sermon title for today, The Most Foolish King in the Bible. Um, but I chose foolish because it's, it's more appropriate um, than other words like dumb, etc. Because that's not a nice word, kids. We don't use that word, right? Unless you're reading the King James and you're talking about people who can't speak, uh, then it's appropriate in that context. I did something really foolish one time. Let me emphasize at the beginning of the story that this was a long time ago. Long time ago. I was still living at home with my parents, if that helps. But I was old enough to know way better. I was doing some ironing, which is a good thing for a young man to be doing. Know how to do all that housework myself not reliant on others to do that for me. So I'm doing some ironing, but before you iron, you have to plug the iron in. You gotta get it up to the right temperature. And I don't know what it was that possessed me to do this, but you know, you wanna know if the iron is hot. So you should never touch the iron, even with your hand. I wish I'd touched it with my hand, but I didn't. I, it's like, I don't know, unexplainable desire, but I picked up the iron and I was holding it up near my face, feeling the, the heat radiating onto my face, and I just got this desire to just touch it to my face real quick. Like I say, it was a long time ago. And at that point, my brain was not fully developed. Arlene Taylor tells you it takes uh, guys uh, well uh, a longer time than it does for, for females. But anyways, I touched it to my face, and it was hot. Yeah. Don't ever do this, kids, okay? <laughs> Never do this, because uh, it burned me. It burned me on my face, and it left, uh, uh, not a scar, but it did scab up. But it was kind of funny, because there were steam holes. The holes where the, the steam holes were, there was no scab in that spot. So you could kind of tell if you knew what you're looking at, what this was from. I didn't do it again. But what was funny is that my mom saw the whole thing transpire. And she said, I would tell you I'm sorry for you, but why would you? I mean, she said, I'm sorry you're so. And then I think she said something other than foolish, but it was, that was the equivalent uh, to do something so foolish. I don't know why I did it, but 
The story we're looking at today as we continue our series through the kings of Judah and Israel, the story from what this king did makes me look a little bit less foolish. <laughs> I won't say Einstein, but you'll, you'll make your own decision when we get there. So let's open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And I'm just going to let you know, today's story, again, will not be a happy story, but we do have one that's coming up very soon that will end positively, okay? Just keep coming back, like Nina said. We'll get there. Second Chronicles chapter 25. Last week, we talked about Joash, and boy, it sure looked like Joash was going to end up good but his roots spiritually were not deep. He was a third wheel in the relationship with God. His, his grandfather, the priest, uh, was connected to God, but he wasn't connected himself. Joash's story ended sadly. Uh, but then his son Amaziah begins to reign, and again, we get a sense that things are going to start off okay. Look at it, 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1. Amaziah was how old when he became king? 25. That's a good age. 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan from Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. So he's starting off pretty good, uh, mostly-ish, sort of. Verse 3. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him, firmly in his grasp, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. So he brings about what he considers to be justice. His father was murdered. Uh, it was a plot. It was actual treason against his dad. And so he brings justice. But as verse 4 tells us, he did not execute their children, but did as it was written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall die for his own what? His own sin. So here we see a principle that sometimes we forget is in the Bible. People should die for their own sin, not the sin of their parents. Now, unfortunately, what we see happening is the sin of the parents spills over into the kids, and they do the same things that their parents did. Parents, we got to be careful what we're teaching our kids to do through our actions and through our words. Amen. If your kids see that you're compromising spiritually, what hope do they have of not compromising spiritually? If your heart isn't fully loyal to God, what hope do you have that their heart will be fully loyal to God? So he brings about justice, but he does it in a way that's fair uh, and doesn't exceed justice, according to as it was written in the book of Moses. But then uh, we get to verse 5. Scene shifts a little bit, and he's going to go to war. There were the people of Edom, uh, or Mount Seir. These were the descendants of Esau, who had become the enemies of, of the people of Judah. Verse 5, Amaziah gathered together Judah and set over them captives of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their fathers' houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. 
And he also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for how much? A hundred talents of silver. So he had 300,000 soldiers. He figured, I need a little bit more. I'm a little nervous. Let me hire some of the Israelites. And he paid a hundred talents of silver. In today's economy is over $2 million, but which you think, boy, that's a really great deal. But you got to remember that there are countries like Cuba where people get $20 a month, and that's what they live off of. So this was a lot of money uh, in either case. He made a big investment in his hired troops. But then verse 7, because that's not what God's will was. God didn't want him reinforcing himself with hired soldiers. A man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. We've seen it time and time again in this series. People are trying to unite with people who are not good influences, and God doesn't bless those unions. We're called to witness to people in our world. We're not called to form these unions that lead us down and drag us into the same sins as what they're doing. Don't go with them. God's not with Israel, nor with the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God will make you fall before your enemy. For God has the power to help, and he has the power to overthrow. He said, King, it's your choice. I mean, if you want to go and be defeated in battle, go ahead. Don't listen to what I'm saying. But we see what he chooses. Verse 9, Amaziah said to the man of God, but what should we do about the, the hundred talents that I have given to the troops of Israel? What about the money? I mean, it's a big investment. What do we do about that? And I love what the response of the prophet was. The man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you so much more than this. You ever look at your wallet when offering is about to happen? God, what about that $20 bill I have in there? What about this check? What about... God can give you so much more than this. It seems like in our lives there are times when we, we're worried about what we're feeling like we have to give up. And so that holds us back from following God. God, I would surrender all to you, but, but what about this? What about that in my life? God's answer, his word's answer is that God's able to take care of you. He'll give you much more than that. What did Jesus say? There are many who have left brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and lands at home for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time and eternal life in the life to come. God is able to supply any perceived lack. But usually what it is, is we're holding on to sin and we're saying, God, what about my sin? I love this. It's my pet sin. I've cultivated it for a long time, God. You don't know the, the time investment I've put into this thing. God said, I'm able to give you so much more than that. You think you're happy and satisfied through this. Wait till you experience what I actually have for you. I got something much better. You ever made like a, a change in your diet where your taste buds have actually changed? You're like, you're thinking you need to give up some snack that you just love, but you know it's terrible for you. Uh, but what's cool is 
your taste buds can actually adapt to the new food. And pretty soon, you're eating that new thing that's healthy, and you're saying, wow, I am getting just as much pleasure from this as I did from that bad thing, but now this is actually good for me. Amen. And that's what God can do for us. The Lord is able to give you so much more than this. Which, by the way, it's interesting. How many talents of silver was it? It was 100. Keep your finger or whatever in this chapter. Just flip over to 27. Chapter 27 of 2 Chronicles real quick. 2 Chronicles 27, because he doesn't get the money back. He doesn't get it back. But check this out. 27 verses 5 and 6. This is now talking about Jotham. It says, He fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year, what? This exact same amount, the grandson of this king is getting 100 talents of silver, but not just that, 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley. But it doesn't stop there. It says the people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third year also. So he gets 300 talents of silver, and then he gets all those other things as well. God is able to supply any lack that we perceive we'll have in committing ourselves fully to him. So we go back to 2 Chronicles 25. God has the power to help. He has the power to overthrow. God will give you so much more than this. So Amaziah said, okay, I'll do that. Verse 10, he discharged the troops that had come back from Ephraim to go home. That made them mad. So they, they went on a little rampage, uh, unfortunately. We get to verse 11, though. It says, then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to where? Valley of Salt. Now, even without knowing a lot of geography, where would you guess the Valley of Salt might generally be located? Yeah, Mark. I think I heard you say the Dead Sea. Oh, near the ocean. That's right. That is a really good guess. And the ocean is super salty. And there's even a place even more salty than the ocean. The Dead Sea. That's right. And this is probably talking about south of the Dead Sea. Can you imagine dried up salt crystals? On the ground, a flat plain. We have some of these places kind of near salt flats, right? In Utah and other places where they do speed records and so forth. This is the, the scene of this battle. Down there, desolate, hot, salty, just a, just a horrible place to have a battle. Not that you want to have a battle anywhere, but, but this is where these things are happening. He went to the Valley of Salt and he killed 10,000 people of Seir. And then it also gets really graphic here. Uh, he takes people and he throws them off some cliffs uh, and kills them. Now, God didn't tell him to do that, right? Um, but this is what he did. Um, and so he felt pretty good about his success. He was thinking he needed the reinforcements. God said, don't do it. You don't need it. He goes into battle and he wins anyways. Loses his money but he wins. And then we get to the most foolish thing that I've seen a king do, and it's right there in verse 14. Now it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir 
set them up to be his gods. And he bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Now, does this make sense on any level? You've just totally destroyed an opposing army. Their gods were not able to protect them. And then you say, huh, I think I might like those. Maybe I'll start worshiping these gods. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Neither does putting an iron on your face. (laughs) But this is... This is at least one or two steps above that. Eight steps, even. Okay, thanks, Jaden. This makes no sense. Therefore, the anger of the Lord, verse 15, was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought out the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? He didn't like that. It's like if your friend has a car that has no brakes. The brakes are just terrible. The brakes are so bad they get in a car wreck. After the car wreck, the friend says, you know what, I'm just done with this car. And you say to them, hey, I think I'd like to start driving your car. Could I do that? That makes no sense, right? Or your friend at school has a lucky pencil. They always use it on their tests. And you say to them, how do you do on your test? And they say, I always fail. And you say, hey, could I borrow that? I want to use that for my next test. Right? Well, of course, there's no such thing as a lucky pencil, right? But we do these things. You know, I was looking up different things that people do, good luck charms, right? Serena Williams, for example, if the tennis player, if she was winning in a competition, she wouldn't change her socks. And that's a sweaty, nasty mess, you know. But that's what she did. Um, There was a basketball player who would throw up before every single game. Every single game. Uh, Let me, I forgot who it was, but it's in my notes here. It was Bill Russell from the Celtics of the 50s and 60s. And his teammates were, apparently they believed in this because if he had come out on the court without having thrown up, they would say, hey, did you vomit? No. Go back in there and take care of that, man. We got to win, right? These are, these are crazy things. I, I have other things. Dana Vollmer, the Olympic swimmer, she had some elephant earrings that she took to the 2012 Olympics in London. She won three golds, so apparently she felt like they worked for her. Or then there was Tiger Woods. Uh, what color shirt would he wear on the last day of a tournament if he was in contention for, for victory? Do you remember? It was a red. Exactly. My dad I liked watching golf, you know. Uh, Jason Giambi, the baseball player, he had some lucky underwear that he would wear. If his batting average started to go down, pull that out of the drawer, put those on, try and get himself out of a slump. I was with uh, some family members. We were watching a a sporting game, and the team was doing not so great, so they they started a fist bump to go around the circle to get our, our team doing better. And we're like, oh, I don't need to do that. And one person was like, no, you need to do this. Do not bring a bad vibe in this room. And we're thinking, what? Because we know these things don't make any difference. But it makes even less sense to take the gods that couldn't save the people you just destroyed 
and to start worshiping them. There's a famous commentator, his name is Matthew Henry, and I love what he, he wrote about uh, this event. He says, egregious folly. That's a good word for you to take to school this week. If your classmates are doing something silly or foolish, you can say, what is this egregious folly I see? <laughs> your teacher might chuckle a little bit. He said, this is just the greatest absurdity. Why would you ever do that? You just listen to God, and God allowed you to win. It doesn't make sense. That's what the prophet said to him in verse 15. In verse 16, so it was, as he talked with him, the king said to him, Have you, have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? Excuse me, did I ask you for advice? I don't think so. Do you want to die? Didn't think so, so stop talking. This is really, really a bad situation. The prophet ceased, and he said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and not heeded my advice. He's like, now I know it's not going to end good for you, buddy. So now, look at what happens. Fresh off of his victory, see what happens in verse 17. Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, or Jehoash, not the, not the boy king. This is on the other side. He had the same name, king of Israel. He sent him a message, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, come, let's face one another in battle. He feels really good because he's just won. He said, all right, who can I fight next? Israel, you're next. Let's fight. And there's this really funny uh, response, uh, a kind of a... a a parable that the king sang, uh, there was a thistle and a big tree, and, and they're talking back and forth. Basically, he was saying, I'm a big, strong tree. You're a weed. Don't do this. You don't want to mess with me. Verse 19, indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. He was feeling prideful, feeling good. Even though it wasn't him, it was God who allowed him to be victorious. Verse 20, but Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. God knew the character of the heart of Amaziah, and so he allowed him to go to his destruction. He allowed him, again, when God sees that our hearts aren't willing to repent, sometimes the way he punishes us is by letting us punish ourselves by not holding us back from our bad behaviors. And so he goes into battle. He does not win. Verse 24, notice, in losing the battle, what does he lose? The king of Israel, it says, he took all the gold and silver and the articles that were found in the house of God, the treasures of the king's house and hostages, and returned to Samaria. So his concern earlier in the story was money, now he's filled with pride. He doesn't think he needs anything. I got this. I can take care of this myself. And then he loses, and then he loses more. Loses the money that he was so concerned about. Verses 25 through 28 describe how uh, justice now is brought upon him or, or 
Uh, it says there, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the jo death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last, indeed, are, not, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought with him on horses uh, and buried him with his father in the city of Judah. Again, another life that started off looking like it was doing decently well. Where did he go wrong? What, what made him do such a foolish thing? We've already seen that, that there was pride involved. Kind of thinking back through the story, he was prideful and not attributing his success to God. Interesting, in verse 11, it says Amaziah strengthened himself. Uh, the name Amaziah literally in Hebrew means strengthened by God. So it's not, it's, it's not, it's an, it's an irony here that a guy whose name is strengthened by God is now strengthening himself, giving himself courage and in going into battle. But you know, I think the biggest clue as to why he would do something so foolish is back at the very beginning. We read this verse, verse 2. It said, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. Not wholeheartedly. He was basically following God, but not always. He was kind of keeping his options open in case at any point he wanted to step in and do his own thing. Sometimes single people, you say, hey, are you dating anyone right now? No, 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 I'm, I'm keeping my options open. Which either means they, they haven't found anybody or, or something along those lines, right? Or they're not, they don't want to commit because they just want to um, do whatever they want. People try and keep their options open spiritually. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I'm serving God, I follow God, usually. I've given my, I mean, at least most of my heart to God. That's, I mean, if you ate three quarters of a whole pie, that would be a lot of pie, right? I've given three quarters of my heart to God. Surely he understands. The reason God asks for all of our heart is because the only way it works is if we give him all of our heart. When you get married, you don't say... I do, six days out of the week. How would that work? Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. Half-hearted dependence on God leads to wholehearted idolatry down the road. Half-hearted commitment eventually leads to a wholehearted turning away from God. He started off kind of okay. Okay, the, the, the book of the law says in Deuteronomy not to put to death people who didn't actually commit the crime. Okay, I won't do that. Okay, the hundred talents of silver, I get it, I get it. I'll follow God here. 
but her heart wasn't fully in it. It says in another place that his heart wasn't loyal like his father David's was. Now, David made a lot of mistakes. But what it appears from at least the majority of his life is that he made wholehearted mistakes. It wasn't that he was holding back part of his heart, intending on sinning. It's just that he got caught up into these sins. But then when he realized his mistake, he would come back to God with his whole heart. As you read through Psalm 119, at least four times in that psalm that David wrote, it says, with my whole heart, I am committing to you. With all of my heart. In fact, as you study uh, word usage in Scripture, you find that the word heart is used way more times than the word sin. Sin is used, I think, less than 400 times. Uh, Heart is used more than twice that. In fact, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is one of the books that has heart more than uh, than any other book. Um, it's It's one of the top books. Heart is used more in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. Because God realizes it's our heart that matters most. And if our heart is devoted to God, he can work with us. So how's your heart today? How are things going in your heart? God will never force his way in. Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door, and I'm knocking. I'm knocking. What is your response today? I've done a lot of foolish things in my life that I don't want to repeat. I want to make better decisions as I move forward. I want to learn from Amaziah's story. Because it's easy to criticize him, but really, we do the same thing anytime we go back to the sin that we know is not good for us. Anytime we go back, it's the same principle. So where is your heart? Who do you want to have your heart today? Maybe you're struggling with that concept. Today, at the very least, say, God, I'm willing to be made willing to give you my whole heart. God, I'm struggling right now, surrendering all, but I'm willing to be made willing to surrender. And I'm going to stick with you and let you melt my heart and soften my heart. Wherever you're at today, make the biggest decision that you can for Jesus. And he will be so thrilled. Today, we saw Silvana publicly give her whole heart to Jesus. Uh, And Silvana, we just want to take a moment before we close in prayer to officially vote you in as a full member of this church. Is there a motion to accept Silvana? And a second? Second. All in favor, just say a big amen. 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 We are so blessed to have you as a part of our family, and there's some gifts that we're going to give you, things um, afterwards. Let's follow Silvana's example and let's give our whole hearts to Jesus today and tomorrow and each day until he comes. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you give us stories, not only of things that go well, but things that don't go well so that we can learn from them. If we're honest, I think all of us struggle at times reverting back to our old heart, our old ways of things. But we're so thankful that even in our failures, your grace 
is more than enough. Your grace and your strength is made perfect in weakness. So today we give you our hearts and we say, please come into the, the home of our heart. Please come into the other rooms in our heart. Make us more like you and give us joy as we follow you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, Amen. 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 God bless.